cup of tea tales, further stories of my grandma's house in Chapel Allerton, my granddad, the parlour, scrubbing round the houses, and how she kept my brothers and me busy. I've many memories of my childhood, as I suppose most other people do of their own. In my case, the memories are all good, and it truly was a magical world for me. Many of my childhood experiences are in black and white, which is probably linked to television that was in its infancy and was in monochrome, and also due to the pollution that had created buildings that were indeed black. In town halls, museums, factories and schools, all the stone used in buildings was black due to the smoke of thousands of coal fire factories and factory chimneys. One splash of colour, though, was my grandmother's house. Not the house itself, as that was a mix of stone and brick, but my grandmother herself and her kitchen. She was very short, very plump, and she dyed her thinning hair a fairly vivid orange. Her dresses were shapeless and often a floral design, but quite colourful. Her skin was bright pink and she had hands that were amazing in hindsight. She had the ability to plunge them into almost boiling water to wash up. Her incredible hands showed no sign of pain, but my brothers and I felt it, particularly when she washed us. She would scrub our bare skin mercilessly, and after one of her washing and drying sessions, we emerged like lobsters, pink, buffed, scoured and dirt-free. We could bring no shame to the family. I loved my grandmother, and her hugs were smothering and comforting in a way that all grandparents' hugs should be, and she was always kind to me. I'm sure that several passing residents, Mrs Orange or Miss Clarkson, would have looked in the window and given their seal of approval over the thoroughness of my grandmother's technique. I suppose it was a bit like having a well-scrubbed doorstep. A well-scrubbed grandchild was another mark of social standing. Anyway, I should tell you about the house. It still stands all these years later. It was a two-up, two-down terrace in Chapel Allerton in Leeds, in the north of England. There were about eight houses in the row. For some reason, it was a private road, and despite there being some large grand houses in the street... It was unsurfaced, with no cobbles, no bitumen, just dirt. It sits opposite a beautifully kept park, with a bowling green tennis courts and many allotments. In the past, the hillside sloping down to Gledhow Valley had air raid shelters, but these were filled in before I ever went there. Across from Grandma's and opposite the main park gates and bowling green, there was a bit of a wasteland with some large trees set on a small hillock. I vividly remember a tiny bakery built into the hillside. It was like some sort of hobbit building, and unfortunately is no longer there. I remember with great pleasure going with my grandma to buy tiny, freshly baked clothes. They were individual size, and when cut in two, spread with jam and butter, and eaten while still warm, were delicious. Another delight was the bilberry and cream pies from the bakery, and I can still taste them as I write this. Up to this point of writing, I'd forgotten all about them. The little bakery was dug into the hillock, and there was a rough stone wall holding the hill in place. A chimney vented fumes from the oven, and there was only a small counter, but a strong smell of bread and baking. 
Another vivid memory is of the slugs that would appear on this wall at times. If there is a world record for slug size, then Chapel Allison must have it. They were monsters. At least seven inches of black, slimy creature, the subject of nightmares. They also inhabited the stone walls opposite the back entrance to my grandma's house and her garden. My grandma was not overly sentimental, and she dealt with the slugs without mercy. Salt was the chemical weapon of choice. After a liberal dousing by my grandmother, I watched in fascinated horror as the creatures writhed in slow agony, frothing and foaming as the salt dehydrated them and ensured they never trespassed upon her domain again. Ever since, I've never resorted to using this approach to dealing with the pest. As I said, I love my grandma and her house, but I didn't mention my grandfather, Harry. Harry had been a tailor, but he'd managed the Working Men's Institute snooker hall in Chapel Allerton and also owned his own sweet tobacconist shop after the war. My grandfather, like my grandmother, was short and had a bit of a pot belly, and his kingdom was the front room. There was a piano for a time, but I don't know if anyone ever played it. It was an upright and had still got the candle holders on each side of the front. The parlour had some things that captured my childish imagination. The fire was magic. It had a strong smell of wood smoke and dustiness, and I would sit entranced as the coal burned. Little geysers of coal gas would burst out of the coal, and in my imagination it was hellfire, another planet. The cellar was only small, and during the war would double up as an air raid shelter. I'd been told... My auntie was evacuated as a child and went to live with a family in the country, but my mother wouldn't go. She used to tell me how it was exciting, but then I don't think Leeds suffered too badly. Towards the end of the war, she used to go cycling with her friends and sometimes met Italian prisoners of war who were allowed out of the prison camps to ride bicycles around the countryside. She said they were friendly and happy to be no longer involved in the war. The cellar air was cold, and it was always damp. At the top of the steps down was the tin bath, hanging on a hook. But facing you as you turned the corner was a meat safe. A meat safe was an equivalent of a fridge. It was a pink metal box with small holes for ventilation. The safe was where meat, milk, butter and other perishables were kept for short times. I believe it was made of metal to prevent rats or mice from gaining access. Apart from heating the house and acting as the oven, the range was used for heating irons. Irons in those days were exactly that, small but heavy. They were similar in shape to the electric iron, but they were solid and had to be heated. They worked in tandem, one being heated on the range whilst the other was being used. It took great skill not to burn the clothes, but I suspect there were many failures over the years. One major difference in the clothes my grandfather wore were the shirts. Shirts had detachable collars that buttoned on and off. This allowed a well-dressed man to wear a clean collar every day. The shirt remained the same all week, but a clean collar was essential. The other fashion difference for the working man was that a suit would be worn, but for some reason the trousers came up to almost the armpit and a belt or braces would hold them in place. Shoes were well polished and no self-respecting man like my grandfather would be seen out with dirty shoes. 
My grandma's name was Mary, but I never called her that. Mary and Harry. Children would never have dreamt of calling adults by their first names in those days. Harry would sit in the parlour when we were there, probably to be out of the way, and it allowed him to read the newspaper and smoke his pipe. Pipe smoking fascinated me. I loved the smell of his pipe tobacco, and it was a ritual that I watched with fascination. Pipes had to be dismantled and pipe cleaners were used to remove the tar residue, and there was a tool that was used to bore out the bulb of the pipe and keep it clean. The bowl on one also screwed off the stem, and again there was a collection of tar in the metal bowl that needed to be cleaned. My grandfather had a rack with a wide assortment of pipes, and there seemed to be an art in cleaning, packing, lighting and keeping the tobacco burning. I can still smell it and see him sitting in his chair, contentedly puffing on his pipe. Of course, these were the days when the dangers of smoking were not so well known. Grandma was the one who looked after me and my two brothers. We were not always there en masse, but one of the highlights was her cooking. Now looking back, I'm not sure if it was because she doubted my mother's culinary skills or whether she just loved seeing us eat, but her cooking was close to being able to feed the 5,000. Let me run you through the usual menu. We would start off with a tin of Heinz tomato soup, followed by a traditional Yorkshire pudding. This was cooked in a tray, maybe 14 inches by 10. I think she may have cooked two trays if the three of us were there. The pudding would be cut in half, so it was a large portion. I had gravy on mine, but my older brother had golden syrup on his. These two courses were starters, and then we had a roast beef, roast potato and vegetable dinner. Again, she was not mean with the portions, and to follow all this, we had either the fabled blueberry and cream pie, or, more often, ambrosia tinned creamed rice pudding. My elder brother used to have a dollop of jam in the middle, but I never liked that. Afterwards, we used to just have to lie about, pogged, for a while. You would imagine, after a regular feed like this, that we would have been quite large, but not one of us has ever had a real problem with weight. Grandma was fairly ingenious in occupying three active small boys, and she would often set us the task of cutting her grass. As mentioned in a previous account, the lawn was tiny, probably about four square metres, or nine square yards. She had a small hand-powered lawnmower, but only my elder brother was allowed to use that, and often it was almost impossible to use as the grass was too tall. When that was the case, she had a hierarchy of alternative cutting utensils, a pair of shears for the eldest, large scissors for me, and tiny scissors for my younger brother. After struggling for a while, blisters would appear, and the process became far from pleasant. The three of us toiled away until the job was done, and then we would reap some reward. At least we gave Grandma some peace and quiet for a while. These were simple times, but happy ones. Of course, there would have been the odd falling out, but my grandmother never seemed to lose her temper with us. She taught us to play cards, and I can still remember hours of playing Pump the Well Dry and Snap. And I know I used to get upset if I thought she was letting my younger brother win. The competitive streak has always been part of sibling rivalry, but I loved the times we all spent together. 
If you enjoy my tales, then you might be interested in knowing that there are two collections of them. The first, A Cup of Tea Tales, The Early Years, and the second, Another Cup of Tea, The Teenage Years. Both are available as paperback from Amazon and ebooks from Kindle. <laughs>